Good morning. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Lisa Stonehouse. I'm on staff here at Harbor Life, and I am so glad to be here with you this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, I love that you are already here. God, that we don't have to ask for your presence, that you go before us, you surround us. Lord, you are our rear guard, caring for us and meeting our needs, Lord. Father, I pray for the words this morning, Lord, about community and belonging and what that looks like. Open the ears of our heart, Father, to hear what you have to say. In your precious name, amen. We are on week four of a series on partnership. A little hum here. Um, that word may have the hair on the back of your neck stand up a little bit, um, because if I'm being honest, mine kind of did when I heard that we were going to do a series on it. Um, maybe it's caused some confusion in you or created some questions, wondering why we're going to do this. But take a really deep breath, because as I've studied and had conversation with Brent and some of the other pastors, I'm really excited that we're taking the opportunity to spend time here. Um, Vinny and Sarah, I just saw you. I'm so happy to see you guys. Oh, it makes my heart so happy that you're home. I know as a community, we've been praying over you. and for your sweet baby, Roman. So I'm so thankful that you're here. Um, and I'm glad you're home. And we, as a body, are here for, for you to continue praying for you and caring for you. And we want to do things. And that puts a lot on you, and I don't want to do that. But if you have ideas, tell us. And we have some ideas, and we just, we love you guys so much. Um, and today we're talking about community, which I love, because they're a part of our community that we love so much. So anyway, um, this whole thing in partnership, I have found to be really um, beautiful, and it's raised questions, and it has helped me fall in love more with um, the heart of Harbor Churches. So listen to some words from Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then in Philemon, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. So we heard the word partnership in both of those verses. And if we look at what it means in Greek, it means the word is koinonia. 
koinonia, which means sharing in, communion, spiritual fellowship, a fellowship in the spirit, a companionship. And I can get behind that. I want to be a part of that. I want to understand that partnership in a deeper way. A fellowship of the spirit. That is such beautiful language. So our first commitment that we talked about is, I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to be my savior and profess my commitment to his lordship over my life. So this is just a starting with a trust, a belief, and a faith in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful. Who has called you into koinonia with our Lord Jesus Christ, his son? But what I love is Brent talked about Nicodemus too that week when we talked about trust and when we talked about belief. And it took Nicodemus three years to put his trust in Jesus. And he literally got to sit right next to him. And he asked Jesus his questions, the similar wonderings that we have. And we are committed to partnering with you as you explore and as you learn to trust too. Our second commitment, I commit to take next steps to become more like Jesus and to help others do the same. So this knowing that faith is a thing was never meant to be just a moment where we placed our trust, something we intellectually consented to. It's something that is continually ongoing in our hearts. It's a walk, it's a journey, which invites us and really, for us to truly grow, requires us to take next steps. Walking out our faith is hard, and it's challenging, and it's almost impossible to do alone. We need one another to encourage us, to walk with us, to help show us our blind spots, areas where we're weak, we need this community of other believers who see the world differently than we do, but who are united in a common faith. At first, when Brett and I were planning out who was preaching what sermons, I thought I got the best commitment to talk about, the third commitment, the commitment to participate in this community of belonging as we gather together to seek to be centered on Jesus. But after reflecting on all of these, I just really think they're all the best. Committing to God is pretty fantastic, right? It's life-changing, actually. Committing to next steps has helped us learn to be vulnerable with one another. We've shared some really personal stories of our life up here. And then we get to see that powerful impact of those stories being walked out in our daily lives. And those next steps change us. They change families. They change workplaces, communities. It changes the core of who we are. Walking out next steps changes the trajectory of our lives. Today, though, we get to talk about the gift of belonging, the gift of community, the gift of koinonia. Belonging is one of our primary human needs. It's on Maslow's list of needs. 
Beyond food and shelter, nothing promotes human flourishing like having people and a place of belonging. We long to belong to someone or something. And that longing is set deep within our souls. Henry Nouwen says it so beautifully. Community is, first of all, a quality of the heart. It grows from the spiritual knowledge that we are alive not for ourselves but for one another. Community is the fruit of our capacity to make the interests of others more important than our own. The question is not how can we make or create community, but how can we develop and nurture hearts? And that is exactly the kind of belonging and community I want to have here at Harbor Life. Developing and nurturing hearts. So let's delve in and walk throughout the Bible looking at a whole bunch of different stories of belonging and community. And then as we walk through each story, we'll ask some questions to reflect on, and then at the end of the message, we'll go back at the question and look at the questions. So in Genesis 2, verse 18, God says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make, some, um, I will make a helper suitable for him. The man here is Adam. And the exact meaning of alone here in Hebrew means separated or apart. Only one and a half chapters into the whole entire Bible, God is already saying that it is not good to be alone, to be apart, to be separated. Separated from community or from belonging to someone. God himself calls creation and life without human companionship and community not good. So here's the questions. Do you feel like you have community? Do you feel like you belong somewhere? How can you nurture hearts here to make them feel like they belong? So here's a story about Moses from the book of Exodus. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Moses, even though he's standing on top of the hill overlooking the battle, isn't immune from the effects of the battle. While Joshua was in it, actually fighting with the sword, Moses was holding up his staff and the Israelites' successes and their ultimately their victory. It hinged on Moses' strength 
to keep his hands lifted up. And the story tells us that Moses' hands grew tired, which is something that will happen if you have to keep your hands up for a long time. As long as Moses was able to hold up his hands or his arms, Joshua and the Israelites prevailed. But as soon as he grew weary and lowered his arms, the Amalekites gained the advantage. As his friends, Aaron and Hur, saw the exhaustion of Moses, they noticed that his strength was failing. They saw that Moses was growing weak. And then they noticed the pattern on the battlefield. They rolled over a stone and they made Moses a place to sit. And then they literally surrounded him. They came alongside him and lifted his hands, holding them up. They supported the weight, the physical weight, the fatigue of holding up a staff. But I think their presence also supported the emotional and mental weight that Moses was carrying. Knowing that that raised staff was the key to the victory. They saw that Moses needed holding up, and they met him where he was. They, Aaron and her, became the strength of Moses. So whether we are in need of someone to come in in a physical sense to help carry something, or if it's more of an emotional burden that we need help carrying, that we need to belong, that we need to be seen, that we need to be held up or met where we are. We need each other to come alongside and help be our strength. So here's the questions for this that I was thinking of. Who's holding you up when you just can't do it another minute? Or who are you holding up? David and Jonathan had an unlikely friendship. David was a lowly shepherd. He was anointed the future king of, Israelite, of the Israelites, and he defeats Goliath in a battle with the Philistines. But then, surprisingly, he befriends Jonathan, King Saul's son, who in the typical order of things would have, been, would have become king. David was a shepherd, Jonathan was a prince, Jonathan had his own armor. David had a harp and a slingshot. Jonathan grew up in a palace and was trained in the art of war. David grew up in the little town of Bethlehem and was trained to be a shepherd. Jonathan was the oldest son, the next in line to be the king of Israel. David was the youngest of eight boys. And he was anointed as the next king in place of Jonathan. Jealousy or hatred could have easily marked their relationship. But instead, throughout the pages of 1 Samuel, we see their friendship unfold. And in chapter 18, we read, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And then right in the early verses of 2 Samuel, we find that Jonathan had been killed in battle and David was brokenhearted. And we read these words in 2 Samuel, Saul and Jonathan 
In life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. How the mighty have fallen in battle, Jonathan lies slain in your heights. And then David said, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. They walked with one another through life, through extremely challenging, difficult years, supporting and encouraging one another. Selflessness was woven throughout the fibers of their relationship. They had pledged a deep loyalty to each other. Despite their extreme differences, they were best friends. Here's the questions I thought of after I read that. Who do you have in your life that is different from you, yet being with them gives you life? Who are you intentionally building a relationship with that's different than you? So now let's jump into the New Testament. It's a story of determination and dedication of some men cutting a hole in a roof. Mark 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So Jesus was teaching inside a house, and the crowd was so excited to have him there, have him home, that they gathered around, and it was so huge that the friends of this paralyzed man couldn't, couldn't get inside. They wanted to bring their friend to Jesus. So they actually carried him onto the roof, dug through the roofing materials, and lowered him down before Jesus. Can you imagine being inside that room as the crumbles from the ceiling began to fall in your head? Maybe first a little dust and then some chunks of dirt and straw and stones. You look up and then there's bigger pieces falling down and suddenly there is brilliant sunlight and you see a few triumphant faces grinning down at you surrounding that new hole in the roof. Cutting a hole in the roof does seem crazy or desperate, but when you imagine the desperation that this man or his friends must have been feeling, there wouldn't have been a way for this man to lead a normal life. His friends had likely been involved in caring for him and feeding him for a long time. This noticeably sets you apart. Being paralyzed was something that couldn't be healed, but yet they still longed for healing for him. They cared about him. They loved him. Clearly, they were going to go through great lengths to see that he was cared for and healed. And so, through great effort, they tore a hole through a roof to bring him to Jesus. Now, obviously, we can't cut a hole through a roof, the layers of a roof somewhere, and find Jesus sitting in a room. But what would it look like if we sat with someone and gently and thoughtfully helped them peel back the layers of hurt or pain and disappointment 
and help them to see Jesus through the layers of their life. Who is bringing you to Jesus? Who is helping you see him in your own life? Who are you bringing to Jesus? Who are you helping to find him and see him in the layers of their own life? In the book of Acts, there's been a big shift. Jesus had had his ministry, was put to death on the cross, rose again, and then had gone into heaven. He left the disciples, and he left us with these words from Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that is exactly what the disciples were doing. So if we go to Acts 2. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And guess what that word is there? It's koinonia. So that's what they were talking about. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They prayed together. They spent time together. They gave to those in need. They met together. They broke bread together in their homes, eating together. All of this togetherness, this community, this belonging caused gladness within them. It gave them sincere hearts, and they were genuinely enjoying one another. This one is a little harder. How do you intentionally make space for this in your own life, in the life of your family? It's so easy to be busy or have a full life. And this kind of community requires sacrifice on our part. How are we intentionally making space for this in our own lives? And a couple of chapters later in Acts, we find these words. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. So in the early church, one key characteristic of Christians, or as they were originally called, followers of the way, there was present participation and intentional involvement in the new community that was being formed these followers of Jesus shared life. They shared worship, mission, food, prayer, even their physical possessions. 
They were communities of belonging centered on Jesus where people were formed and sent to be good news. They encouraged each other. They helped one another become like Jesus. They challenged and supported one another. This new community of love demonstrated in a really beautiful way what it's like to live the gospel in unity and purity and peace. Being a community of love on mission was a key characteristic of biblical communities of faith. Who encourages or helps you become like Jesus? Who challenges you and supports you in that? How do you encourage or help people become like Jesus? And if you're in relationship with them, how do you challenge them while you're supporting them? Here's another quote from Henry Nouwen. I love this one. The best of community does give one a deep sense of belonging and well-being. And in that sense, community takes away loneliness. People who have known the joy of God point each other to flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but real presence of God. They discover that there are people who heal each other's wounds, forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they have received, and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God's glory. That sounds an awful lot like koinonia. So let's go back to that word for a minute and dig just a little deeper. Again, so often as it is, there's not an exact translation in English. Koinonia is a Greek word that's most associated with the ideas and concepts of holy covenantal living. We defined it in the beginning as sharing in, communion, spiritual fellowship, a fellowship in the spirit, a deep companionship. Really, it's a shared community that involves deep, close-knit participation amongst its people. It seems simple to just substitute the word fellowship for koinonia, but it's far deeper. Fellowship is really a more surface-level, friendly relationship. If you picture the church fellowship hall from like the 50s, 60s, 70s, right, the colored squares of a bestest-filled tile, coffee in a styrofoam cup, maybe the, like, the church library with all the Jeanette Oakey books lining the back of, um, of the room. So that's more of a basic fellowship, a lighthearted chatting, right, small talk. While koinonia is a full and intimate unity, it takes that friendship to a deeper level, to something that's real, that's genuine. Koinonia is an important, unique element in the New Testament. The disciples became filled with the Holy Spirit and then helped build and establish those communities of new believers who shared not only in the Spirit, 
but also in all aspects of life together. From meals and homes, their finances, encouragement, companionship, and just regular eating together. A powerful word picture is that the concept of communion is exemplified in koinonia. Communion, which also has the word meaning of sharing, it also represents the communion that Jesus offered his disciples, sharing his body and his blood during that last supper, something we regularly do to remember that deep, deep love that Jesus has for us and the sacrifice that he gave. So that word has such richness, such depth of meaning. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus invites us to come to him, to believe him as our Lord and our Savior. He invites us to follow him and obey his commands. And as Jesus told us in Matthew 22, those commands are to first love God and second to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we love others as ourselves, it's a joining, a uniting, a true partnership. It says that we are all in this together. Or as the Apostle Paul used an analogy, all part of one body. When we love others as we love ourselves, we are generous people. We share what we have, whatever that is, money, food, time, loyalty, encouragement, our very selves. We open our hearts to true and genuine belonging. As Paul wrote, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of us is a part of that body. We are each a part of it. And we are each a huge reason why we gather to meet. The commitments deeply and truly matter. We have one of these in the back at Connecting Point. If you want to take one on your way out, that explains more of partnership, of what we, what we are committing to one another in this intimate relationship of this mission we are doing together. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to be my Savior. And I profess my commitment to his lordship over my life. I commit to take next steps to become more like Jesus and to help others do the same. I commit to participate in this community of belonging as together we seek to be centered on Jesus. When we walk out these commitments, when we're partnered together, we will be changed. This body, this community will be changed. We opened with Nawan's quote, the question is not how can we make or create community, but how can we nurture and develop hearts? So let's use that lens again to look at those questions we asked throughout the message.
Do you feel like you belong somewhere where your heart is being nurtured? How can you help to nurture hearts to make them feel like they belong? Who's holding you up? Who are you holding up? Who do you have in your life that is different from you, yet being with them gives you life? Who are you intentionally building a relationship with that's different than you? Who's bringing you to Jesus? Who are you bringing to Jesus? How are you encouraged? How are you helped to become more like him? How are you challenged and supported in that? How do you encourage or help others to become like Jesus? Who are you in relationship with that you can challenge and support? How are you living out koinonia today? How can you help develop and nurture the beauty of that here at Harbor Life? These questions are not to create guilt or shame or that you're not doing enough, not at all. Because they're asked to encourage us, to invite us, to challenge us all, to take next steps, to help create more and more of an atmosphere that nurtures and develops hearts. We pray and we dream and we create ways here for hearts to be nurtured, for ways that we find belonging in community, and ways that we look towards Jesus together. We have lighter, more simple ways to begin to foster this. We have breaking bread hand to hand. You can volunteer in kids or hospitality or worship. There's spring and fall cleanups, the Buck Creek cleanup, our ladies' book club, the guys' fun events, ugly coffee, participating in trunk or treat, or the ladies' secret Santa. These are all simple ways. Maybe it's bringing a meal for someone. They're simple ways to begin to build the relationship for hearts to be nurtured. We have deeper ways to develop and nurture hearts. There's Alpha, there's Men's Group, there's Cultivate. We have various Bible studies. Brent and I are always willing to grab coffee and hear what's on your heart if you have ideas and ways you want to partner with us in developing or offering other areas of doing this. These things matter. Not just for our personal growth of becoming more like Jesus, which is so important, but it's for growth as our community together for a body of believers in sharing in the communion of spiritual fellowship. The fellowship in the spirit, it's a deep companionship. The essence and beauty is a vital necessity to foster that heart, to have it be woven into the fibers of who we are here at Harbor Life. It matters greatly. Over and over and over in the New Testament, we're encouraged to, we're invited to, we're challenged to take that next step and enter into community, into belonging, into a deep investment in each other's lives. In Hebrews, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. And in Romans, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That is beautiful. That is koinonia, the kind of community where hearts are developed and nurtured. I see you doing this here. I love this community. I love the stories I hear coming from lives that are here. And let's grab hold of that invitation and challenge ourselves to dig deeper into creating a community of belonging where hearts are developed and nurtured because of a love for Jesus and a genuine love for one another. Will you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for creating us not to be alone. Thank you for giving us community. Thank you for setting the desire for belonging in our heart. Lord, thank you that throughout scripture there's story after story after story of people caring for one another, of people loving each other, of people bringing each other closer to you. Lord, thank you for the stories that flow through this building, this room, the lives of the people that come to Harbor Life. Thank you for the community that has been built. And God, in that, challenge us to deepen the community, to deepen caring for one another, Lord, as we grow more like you in that. In your precious name, amen.